Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Career Move Secrets. Today's guest is Alex Jan. Alex has spent the last 25 years building his career in the professional services industry with a particular focus on economics. And indeed, he spent the last 10 years as the chief economist at Arup. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hi, Tony. Nice to see you. <laughs> nice to see you as well. We've uh, we go back quite a long way, don't we, Alex? So it's been a it's been. We a do. We do. We do many moves. Many moves. <laughs> and how are things with you? Are you? I take it you're at home in lockdown, like the rest of us. I am. In, I am at home. I'm. Uh, I have the privileged position of uh, sitting in central London, which is very, very quiet at the moment. Um, so we're all hoping that won't last too long, and we can start complaining about the noise of people uh, having fun and dinner and going out to the pub and the theatre again very soon. Let's hope so, yeah. Some good news the other day about this uh, this vaccine, so let's hope that's going to be a bit of a, a bit of game changer for us all and get us all back to normal, let's hope. Yeah, let's hope so. Eh? Mm. Well, Alex, obviously I know you because, you know, we, we, as I say, we go back a, a reasonable way, but of course the audience will not know your background. Could you give us the potted history of your career? Yes, thanks, Tony. So um, I starting. I'll start at the beginning, but try and keep it reasonably short for the benefit of your listeners. Uh, I uh, graduated in economics from the London School of Economics way back in 1991, and um, was kind of raring to go with work rather than doing. Uh, further degrees which I should probably have done but anyway um, so my first job was actually with the CBI looking after policy doing policy work on London um, which I did for a few years Um, so listeners will know CBI is the organization which represents uh, British industry to government and others so that was quite an interesting role because it involved dealing with a variety of stakeholders but looking at private sector stakeholders, but looking at public sector type work. And then from there, I went on to KPMG on the consultancy side, which was uh, for about four years, which was great fun. And, um, you know, I managed to travel the world quite a lot and work on some very interesting, uh, mainly transport projects, which transport and cities is kind of my thing. And, um and, you know, getting a, a sort of a blue chip consultancy firm onto your CV, as many of your listeners will know, is can be quite a good stepping stone and credential to have. Um, I think the hours can be pretty long. And, um, you know, after four or five years, I felt it was a time 
time to move on. So I then went to the Civil Aviation Authority where I worked on the economic regulation side uh, for the Director of Economic Regulation. And that was really helping him to think through how the organisation should be uh, restructured, be thinking about what it was doing for the industry in terms of collecting information and data and, and analysis and so forth. And um, CAA is a creature of government, as, as listeners will know. It's, it's actually one of the last nationalised industries left um, in the UK. And um, I was able to be seconded into the team at the Department for Environment, which then was in the process of setting up um, the Greater London Authority. So I then spent some time as the tr part of the transition team for the GLA with the elected mayor, Mr Livingston, as it became, um, and the formation of Transport for London, which has been in the headlines lately, uh, and indeed stayed on there and worked for some time at City Hall doing transport advice um, to the Assembly and, and the mayor. Um, and then from there, I got some industry experience, as we were talking about earlier, for Metronet, which is one of the London Underground public-private partnership infrastructure companies uh, that were set up to renew and maintain some of the underground lines. Now, that kind of all ended in tears, um, but uh, it was great experience for me because it was industry side. And with hindsight, gave me some, again, I'd like to think some sort of real credentials of working um, in an operational and business planning environment for a company involved in providing complex services. Um, and then I came back into consultancy after that with Scott Wilson, um, and a brand which has now uh, sadly disappeared from the horizon since been bought out by uh, you know the big American um, consulting corporations. So uh, after that, I you'll be pleased to know I'm near the end now. I then joined Arup, uh, as you said, about 10, 11 years ago, where I um, became a director and then chief economist. And um, earlier this year, I decided to take a bit of a career break. I think COVID, amongst other things, felt I just wanted to take a bit of a step back after working for 30 years. So at the moment, I'm doing a bit of research um, for a book, which I'll probably never get around to writing. Um, <laughs> but I've also got a non-exec position with the uh, with a business improvement district in Central London, um, wh which is which we can talk about, um, and I'm also a member of the Mayor for London's Infrastructure Advisory Group. So, kind of like non-exec type type functions, um, and we will see at some point what tomorrow brings in terms of uh, what I want to do next. Interesting, yes, and it's. Uh, I remember speaking to 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 one of our mutual contacts in the past who said, you know, Alex has worked for some proper, you know, he's he's got a bit of a blue chip CV, which you have, you know, in terms of the, you're right, you know, working for somebody like KPMG, having that on the the CV is great, you know, working close to government is always exciting and interesting, isn't it? And um, and then you know places like Scott Wilson and and, and Arup are very well respected uh, organisations. So so the career is. Has has developed quite nicely. Has it all? I mean, I know I'm, I I I was involved in recruiting you once, um, which was a, was a headhunt situation. Ha, 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 you missed out there, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what were the you know how did they move 
occur? I'm always interested to find out whether you made job applications or whether, you know, through the the sort of hidden job market, the, the, the market found you. So combination. Um, I mean, I think actually out of all of the moves that I've made, I only applied for one of those jobs, maybe two. Uh, one was at the civil. One was um, um, the civil aviation authority job. Actually, appeared I think in the back of the Economist magazine. So I put in an application for that. And the second one was when I made the transition uh, from the transition team at the GLA into a more permanent role. Um, but the other app, the other jobs that I've had were either suggestions or ideas from people. So people who were looking for somebody and they got in contact with someone else and then I was signposted back to whoever was looking for. So the CBI job actually came through uh, one of my lecturers at the LSE and then the other jobs were through good agents such as yourself. So they were headhunting type positions. Or in the case of Metronet, I actually just wrote to the chief exec of uh, the executive chairman of 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 Metronet um, before it had formally taken over the contracts and said I'd like to come work for you and uh, Rod Hall uh, who sadly passed away a few years ago um, you know was good enough to see me and I got on with him well and then I that's how I got into the into that organisation so it's a combination you know as with so many careers of uh, connections friends um uh, headhunting type uh outfits agencies and and also a degree of luck you know you can't underestimate the importance of luck in these things oh no absolutely but the, the one you mentioned there with metronet is really interesting because you know this is something i advocate if if there is an organization out there that you think you're particularly well aligned to that you have some sort of passion for and interest in working for, regardless of whether you see an advert that suits you or not, approach them, you know, actually, actually write to them or approach them through LinkedIn or, you know, through a number of different methods. Cause it's, you know, you can now do it on a sort of, you know, multi basis of multi contacts and try and get their attention. Yeah. I think, you know, when you're outside an organization, I mean, I, because as I'm sure we'll come on to talk about, I've done a you know fair amount of recruitment as well. But when you're outside an organisation and you're trying to get in, um, particularly if you're somebody who is used to structure and process and all the rest of it, you kind of see see many organisations as not impenetrable, but very very difficult to to kind of access because what they're putting out might not be the sort of thing that um, you think of as uh, appropriate for you, it might not be at the right level and so forth. You don't have the, the right formal qualifications. So it's very easy to kind of talk yourself into a position where you think, well, I'm in some ways, this is never going to work. It's impossible. It's very difficult and so forth. And um, so, so yeah, so be creative, be imaginative as to how you, how you access, particularly organizations that you really want to work for and you know, you know, are going to be difficult to access uh, through other means. And uh, it's interesting that because I think, you know, I, I know it works because I do it probably 10 times a year. I present somebody to an organization that is, I think will be interested, that will interest them. And, and, and generally, um, you know, that, that is positively received. And, 
you know, in many cases, they create a position for somebody that they think is is really interesting. Has that happened in your in your uh, career as a hiring manager? Have you had people approach you directly that you've then gone on to hire? Yeah, very much so. So at Arup, which, uh, as I say, which I left earlier this year, and Arup, after 11 years, Arup is a staff-owned company. So it's a bit like the John Lewis, you know, model where, where it's owned by the staff through a trust. And um, something called the key speech that Ove Arup, the, you know, the founder of the firm made in the early 1970s, and the very sort of values and principles of the firm, which stem from this key speech, and one of the things Arab said was, uh, if you find a good person, create an opportunity for them. So if you, you know, in the world of consultancy in particular, that's something which is doable given the extent to which, you know, our markets can flex and we can expand mm. and grow in response to opportunities. So uh, I think that is an enduring principle for recruitment managers, particularly in consulting. If you find someone good, then find a way of incorporating them into the organization and they will find a way of succeeding so uh i I, i've done that on a number of occasions i mean to be to be to be uh, fair it's easier to do it with more junior people so if you're Mm. looking you know you may not be actively looking to increase the number of analysts or more junior or or mid-level consultants um but you know if you find a good one then my advice would be find a way of, uh, of, of taking them on um, because they'll be snapped up by someone else, right? Um, mm. It's the first thing. The thing to be aware of is that, you know, that's only the beginning of it. The, the, there's a huge importance around creating, these days in particular, around creating career narrative for people. You know, I think expectations of people in the labour market today, particularly people in their 20s, uh, early 30s, and then later on, which we can come back to, is that they want us, they want other people to have thought proactively about their careers for them. It's no mm. longer enough just to recruit people and then expect them to get on. So two parts of the equation, but definitely start off by identifying good people, however they come across your door, and if they're good, and if there's a you know a reasonable business case for them, then take them on. Don't don't wait for the organisation to change its structure in order to take them on because they'll have gone. Yeah, I, I, good people, you know, are, are hard to find. And if you come across people that are interested and motivated in what you you know motivated by what you do, you you, you know, generally speaking, you 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 ought to give them uh, give them airtime and then find out whether they can fit into the organisation. And it's interesting. I, I've done it. A lot with more senior people and found that that is very very doable i guess with the senior people what they have to do is demonstrate the value that they add in a in a in a more sort of profound way and often that that requires them to to almost sort of project themselves into into a role with either something like a, a mini business plan or a presentation or something that says look this is what I understand you're doing now in XYZ area and this is what I can add to the party uh, it's something that senior people are more capable of doing because they're they have the experience, the knowledge uh, of the sector. So, um, and I agree with you, happens more easily in professional services. But it it, it also, funnily enough, in in I, I have I have uh, seen it at work and been uh, fruitful in my pursuit of, of it outside of professional services. So, yeah, it's definitely definitely something that people can do. Um, it it was you know interesting there you were talking about people having. 
you know, uh, people wanting other people to invest in their career and give them career direction. And I, I understand that. I, but I always think that we're, we, you know, we all are responsible for our own careers, aren't we? And that's why in many ways people make a move in the first place is because they think, uh, you know, the, the, the horizon here is, or the, the, the sort of glass ceiling is, is right above me here. I need to make a move to the next place in order to expand my horizons. So, you know, I think, I do think people ought to take, you know, control of their own career. Is that something that, that, um, that you've come across in, in terms of people that you've hired have then, you know, had to move on, um, in order to, to, to build their career further? You know, it's such an interesting question because, um, thinking about thinking proactively about your own career and um and then trying to cut a path um mm. in a world where it's a bit like trying to move house you know mm. on the one hand you kind of you know you need to move house because you might need somewhere bigger or smaller and at the same time you know you have to go into a market environment you have to try and see what's on offer, you know, what's for sale at the moment, mm. and then compete against other people to try and land in a particular place. It's for, you know, it's not like going and buying a car or going to the supermarket, um, to put it mildly. And, and therefore, it's a kind of combination of skill and chance. And mm. I think that um, the mistake people make, including myself, is to think that it's either 100% about skill or it's a hundred percent about uh, it's 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 just luck, you know, mm. and it's a combination of the two. And w- and what I'd say, Tony, is that you know, on reflection, and this is true of many things in life, it, it's the old um, saying which either Frank Sinatra or NASA came up with, which is the harder you work, the luckier you get. <laughs> I was just about. I was thinking exactly the same thing as you were saying. You know, if you so, don't you don't get anywhere if you don't try. So so. You know, particularly for people like me who, you know, are, you know, our work, our profession is is very analytical. We deal a lot with numbers. We're trying to find the answers to things. It can be quite hard for people, particularly with that strong sort of quantitative and analytical set of skills, to just let go a bit and think more laterally and think about maximizing chance which will then lead to the outcome they want. So it's a very long-winded way, I think, of saying that um, you have to have a combination of a sense of direction as to where you want to go career-wise, but you also have to be pragmatic to a degree. You have to, you have to, you know, realize that that there's a degree of meander involved, that there's a little bit of zigzagging maybe, and mm. that, um, but that if you, if you kind of, you know, if you, if you if you can focus on the broader horizon, um, but be pragmatic as to how you try and get to that endpoint as such or that horizon point, then you're more likely to to, to sort of find a way of getting there. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not sure that answers your question. Really. No, I, th- I think it does. I, I I've yet to I've said this a couple of times on this show. Actually, I've yet to come across the person uh, over twenty years of of recruitment who actually set a course on their career and achieved it in this sort of linear fashion of you know one run of the ladder to the next 
and and you know straight and they they get to the top of the ladder the one that they chose to 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 go up a lot of it it's probably more like uh, getting up a cargo net you know you you meander around maybe fall off a little bit go down a bit it's 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 it isn't um it isn't as simple as plotting a course and getting there but but certainly you won't get anywhere unless you try to to get to that next point and and you're open to the opportunities that come your way um you know so yeah, i think and, and- and it always looks, you know, you know, we talked about what my last 30 years looks like. And you can kind of, it looks like a staircase in a way, doesn't it, from with hindsight. And you, you listen to, you know, famous uh, and successful people on the radio and you listen to their careers and you think, wow, you know, it's all kind of, it was all joined up for them. Um, and it, I know it kind of, it sounds a little bit, uh, um, simplistic to say some of the things I've said about maximize your chances, you know, be pragmatic and so on. But the other thing I would say is, you know, just to add to this sort of the truisms is learn from your experiences and apply those experiences. And what I really mean by that is two things. One is, you know, do things that you really want to do. Uh, What is the sort of, what does your unconscious sort of side tell you about what you really actually enjoy doing Mm. and and respond to that because the older you get the more important that will be Mm. compared to just the basics now the basics are incredibly important in terms of um earning a living and paying the mortgage and so forth but as time goes on the quality of life and the enjoyment factors of work the things that you get satisfaction will, will become more important and, you know, I think a lot of people risk ending up in a position where it, they might be in a job which pays very well, but they're not happy. So listen to that side of your equation and balance it off with the, the bread and butter considerations, which are obviously important. And then the second thing I'd say, which is related to that, is the importance of um, it's the importance of really learning from the mistakes that you made. So, for example, in my case, when I left the GLA, you know, I kind of, I overreached at the GLA. I got too close to the mayor in terms Mm. of my role. Um, So I kind of, that meant that the advisors, the mayor's political advisors, perhaps felt a bit threatened by me or they weren't sure what to do with me. And so I overplayed my hand. Now, that was a big learning experience for me um, and one which I, you know, I pr- probably set me back, certainly in terms of my own um, self-esteem and various mm-hmm. other things. But it was, and it, as I said, took me some time, but actually it was incredibly important in terms of helping me to think through how best to progress myself professionally um, rather than just feeling very, upset bitter and twisted about the experience which believe you me i could have you know i could have um sort of um i i could have stayed in that state of mind for for even longer than i did so you know have humility learn from your experiences apply that learning in order to then you know uh make better choices next time around uh, absolutely and I, I think there's probably a lot of people out there now who you know have left their last employer, you know, maybe COVID was a reason, you know, maybe the, the economy follow, following COVID was a reason. And, and, and it can be harmful. It, uh, you know, a lot of the people I speak to have been 
made redundant, or rather their roles have been made redundant, because of course people aren't made redundant, it's the roles that are made redundant, uh, you know, carry a bit of a stigma or a chip or whatever it may be, carry an aura of a failure, frankly, for a period of time. After I've, I've interviewed lots of, you know, very senior people who, who, you know, project to to me that they are still hurt from that experience. And whilst you know that's real, um, you know, it, it's not something that is particularly attractive to the next employer. You've got you've got to be careful not to to show the wounds too much. You know, going back to that idea of, of sort of career narrative, you know, th- when people tell the story of their career. It's generally, you know, they, 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 it, it's a sort of, um, you know, a, a posthumous affair in, in so much as, you know, you, 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 can, you can make sense of it afterwards. And that's what a lot of people need to do with their career narrative is turn it into a story and make sense of it. It, it, it you know, it isn't all uh, linear progression upwards, but it can be an interesting story that demonstrates the highs and lows and the experiences you had, what you've learned, and therefore what you can do next. And I do think people struggle with that introspection piece to, to sort of really, you know, get to grips with what they've done, what they are and what they can do next. It's hard. Yeah. I, I, and I think that, um, I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned in the COVID situation and I think right now in particular, there will be a lot of people, particularly in sectors that have been really heavily hit, hit excuse mm-hmm. me, such as aviation, where a lot of good people will have been, will have found themselves out of work and if you're in your 30s or 40s and, you know, you kind of think, well, I did nothing wrong. I know that I'm, uh, I'm, a, you know, I've got marketable skills and I'm good at what I do and so forth. And if only my employer had hung on a bit longer, mm. you know, uh, and, and people then feel injured. They feel that they've been uh, singled out. And then they, the risk is that we become a bit introspective and we kind of think it's all about us. It's the why me kind of, uh, challenge. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's right to do a degree of, of interest, to have a degree of, of self-reflection or introspection, but then you have to think about, okay, so what's next? And as you say, you know, managers and employers are looking for people with a degree of, of resilience, a degree of self-motivation and get up and go. Mm. And, and, and those who are able to, with time, put their um, uh, challenges, career challenges, into a slightly more philosophical type perspective. Now, it's very easy for people who are you know in a position of comfort right now to say that, but you have to believe that A, things will get better, in mm. terms of the economy and, and and job opportunities, and B that you have a a, a valuable contribution to make, mm. and 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 you know employers appreciate a degree of honesty and yes. um, and um, and the extent to which they you know an individual can demonstrate humility and and that they've learned from experiences. And that doesn't mean that you've got to divulge the where, wherefores of a particularly, you know, maybe you've had a bad experience, maybe both sides are at fault, I don't know. But, mm. you know, particularly in a world of, of settlement agreements and so forth, you have to be careful as to how much you go into. But I think employers are not going to be shocked if you say it didn't work out or actually due to circumstances beyond my control, you know, it was time to move on. Or actually... 
I just didn't want to stay there for the following reasons. And that's why I'm now coming to you. I think if anything, that's what sets out, you know, separates out good candidates from those who kind of produce a CV or a narrative, which is kind of just a bit implausible because it's yes. so sort of spotless that you kind of you know it's a bit like when you you do your insurance application online uh, you know a friend of mine was telling me that um if you put down that you've got 10 years no claims bonus and all the rest of it and no points the computer kind of says hang on a minute is this this is too good to be true now i'm not saying i've got any points or <laughs> claims on my license but you get the point you get the point yeah absolutely and i, and I agree with that i think uh you know the companies want candor uh and they want to understand that they don't need you know the emotional sort of baggage bringing with it but they just need to understand that you've you know this is my reason for leaving and this is my reason for joining you that they're, they're the two big sort of whys that you need to to focus on and have a, a good a good answer to you mentioned the economy there and i always think when i speak to economists i, I put them in a terrible position because i because I, I ask them to to future gaze on stuff that you know is hard to to do but we also mentioned the fact that the um, in just just in the last couple of days we've had this announcement about uh, the pfizer uh, vaccine once you know that's rolled out around the world, different economies. What, what do you you know? Given that this is sort of an economic shock of a of a very specific nature, do you see a you know do you see things bouncing back once normality returns uh, and and sort of a, a good period of growth thereafter? Would that would that be your view or not? So uh, economists are known for being doomsters and pessimists and, you know, it's all going to fail um, and the long term we're all dead and all those other things about us, um, which are probably uh, true to a certain extent. I think I'd say, first of all, um, Tony, you know, this is unprecedented, for, certainly for my generation. I'm in my early 50s now, even though I know I don't look it. Um, <laughs> but for people, for anybody of working age, this has been a most remarkable um, and traumatic experience, right? So I really think people should occasionally remember that, that what we're going through at the moment is, is unprecedented and they should cut themselves a bit of slack. Mm. Um, I think, you know, um, when we hopefully get through this and look back, uh, people will realise just how extraordinary it's been. Mm. So I think that's the first thing I'd say. You know, people should be a bit more forgiving on themselves and what they've had to be, what they've had to put up with, particularly in terms of, you know, putting their careers on hold, their working environments, the pressure, working at home will have put on them, their relationships, um, you know, we've just been wrestling with the door going and the dogs barking and, mm. you know, your kids and all the rest of it. So um, so that's the first thing. In terms of uh, where it's going to go, yes, I think it will eventually, we will get through it. I think that, you know, it's very interesting looking back at the, um, the flu epidemic of 1968-69, which apparently killed 4 million people. Uh, half of all industrial workers in France were off, were sick with, with the Hong Kong flu. And yet, until I looked it up, I'd never even heard of it. Mm -hmm. Now, it was different because historically, governments took the decision to work through these epidemics. So the economy didn't stop. And this one is different because 
what governments have effectively said is we're going to try and protect people by closing the economy, which is unprecedented. Mm. So in terms of the future, eventually, I don't know how long, but eventually we will get through it. Um, <laughs> let's hope that this vaccine means that it will be sooner rather than later. What I would say is that um, there will be, uh, my, my own view is, despite a lot of the rhetoric around, oh, we've got to change the way the world is looking forward, my, my own view is that a lot of the things that we were doing um, and consuming previously will continue to be so. So I actually think that things like working in offices will return Mm. Uh, at scale. Um, yes, we've seen an acceleration of some of the trends of things like working at home, definitely. But actually, I think places to work outside of the home will, will, will become very important again. I think that things like international travel will be very important again. Um, the importance of city centres and so forth. So I think there's, there's great cause for optimism. Um, what I would say is, if you can be footloose, if you can be flexible, then um, you may well find that there are some great opportunities uh, elsewhere in the world, uh, not just in Britain. I think for various reasons, which we probably don't have time to go on to, into now, the British economy is going to struggle to recover as quickly as those for certain other countries for structural reasons to do with Brexit, to do with the debt pile that we've managed to run up, um, you know, risks around inflation and other things. But broadly speaking, you know, it may be another 18 months, it may be another 12 months before things return to some state of normality. But for people in the consulting industry, for people in, you know, who are working in infrastructure and so forth, I think they can look forward to their careers returning to some degree of normality but you might just have to be more flexible willing to move around and, and so forth mm, yeah it's not uh, it's not an easy picture out there but at least there's you know there is some there is some hope which we perhaps didn't have uh, yesterday or the day before this vaccine so uh, no, Alex thank you very much for your time I really appreciate it great to catch up with you um, it, it's been really good it's a pleasure nice to talk to you too Tony cheers Alex all the best take care bye-bye Always great for me to speak to Alex and get some of his sage advice on how you might build or even rebuild your career uh, after this uh, this setback period. Hopefully we can all get back on track before too long. If you are looking to make a move at the moment, do go to my site, careermovesecrets.com and uh, make yourself um, abreast of the free resources on there, particularly uh, the Resume Masterclass. You know, why wouldn't you? That's really going to help you. Um, and also the Hidden Job Market Masterclass. Again, it's going to help you uncover roles that you might not otherwise not find. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider subscribing? And would you also consider um, giving me a review? That would really, really help me um, help me produce more of these and hopefully uh, you're getting some value from them. As ever, there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon.